it's brilliant to be back together. I hope you've all had a fantastic summer and uh, have been enjoying uh, yourself. It seems like the summer is just starting now, funnily enough. It turned it on today when the children go back to school. Uh, perfect. Um, however, um, when we were away, I don't know if you're like me and you do the same thing, but when you're away, oh, maybe I'm let, letting a secret slip here, uh, but when you're away and you're on a Sunday, I'm sure many of you go to church because you're very good, um, but we walk around and we go, oh, this is what people do with a Sunday. Do you ever do that? Oh, they sit on the beach and they have a coffee and they go and see people and they have a chat and they have a little walk and they just poodle around and they have a little lay-in and they get up and then they have lunch and they have a little Sunday snooze and then they, you know, just relax. And uh, that's what I was got me thinking really over the summer holidays <laughs> as I was thinking this is really quite nice, this on a Sunday to just relax and to enjoy. Um, and I guess for me there is a constant grapple and I'm just going to be really honest with you tonight and just let it all out there with me about what is the church? What are, what are is it that we're doing and what is the church? I'm not always sure that as team leader I should be questioning this so much in the way that I do, but I'm always kind of thinking, what is the church? What are we doing? What are we about? And I'm constantly frustrated by the constraints that we often put on the church that actually aren't biblical at all. There's, not, there's no, nothing wrong with those things. Actually, a lot of those things are quite good, but um, you know, they're, they're not in the Bible. Why do we have an aisle? Why do we sit in rows? Why do you face this way and look at the worship team? Why do we do all these things? I don't, I don't know, probably because it's I don't know. <laughs> what if you have an aisle? Maybe I'll mix it up next week and there'll be no aisle. And we'll have to see what we do. Um, I do understand that I'm a person who has moved house five times in the last seven years. So I'm someone who likes change. I like to change and shake it up a bit, you know, and get itchy feet quite quickly. So I do understand that. And I apologise for those of you who have find it hard um, and difficult. But I am someone who likes to think about things and think about the way that we do things. And it led me to think about why going to church is such an important part of our faith journey. Why it's so important for us to gather together. Why the, this is so important for us. Um, I can honestly say that I'm, you can tell, I am not a gym bunny. Um, I do not um, go to really any hobbies or clubs outside of my normal life. And actually church, I worked out, is the only thing that I do at the same time consistently every week. It's the only thing that I do. Uh, the rest of my week is up and down and chaotic and all over the place. But church is the one thing that I come to every Sunday, six o'clock, I'm here. And that's the, that's the one thing that I do each week. You've probably got lots of things in your diaries that are in every week and, uh, and well done. But this is my thing that I do once a week. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The Bible tells us quite clearly that it's good this is good. This is a good thing to be doing, to be meeting together, to be together, to do it consistently. And actually having a time makes us do that, doesn't it? Knowing that we can come together on a Sunday, it helps us to do it consistently. And so meeting together is a good thing. Over the summer, I've puzzled about lots of things, lots of different things that have been going on. And 
chewed over some very difficult things that I think have probably been sitting in the back of my mind to do with my faith for some time. But, you know, sometimes it's only when you take yourself out and you stop and out of the chaos that you can really deal with some things. And um, I've been, um, I'm sure like you, over the years, there's been different people in my faith journey and different people who I've respected, different people that I've looked up to locally and nationally. And, and they've kind of come out and they've not been quite the person that you've thought that they really were. And you've looked up to them and you've kind of put your faith in them and they've spoken into my life. And I guess that for a while now, I've been kind of battling a little bit with, with wobbling a bit of, what was that all about then? Was that God speaking to me? Was that, what was that really all about, as different people had said? And it kind of things into my life, and it's kind of made me question things a little bit. However, God really gently reminded me over the summer that this isn't a new problem. This has been going on for years, okay? Right back in the early church, there were people who were living faith lives, but were living behind masks, or living in a way which wasn't honouring to God. They were living a double life. There was rivalry. There was jealousy. There was eye-watering immorality, things that we couldn't even imagine or think of. Even among the disciples, if you think about the people that Jesus hand-picked, one of them betrayed him and let him down. Even among Jesus' own and to help us understand this, I think Jesus, he told this parable. He told the parable of the weeds. And I want to read it tonight, the parable of the weeds. It's um, Matthew 13, verse 24, if you want to follow along. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burnt. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. You know, the wheat and the weeds, initially, when they were growing, looked exactly the same. They looked the same. The farmer hadn't noticed them until it says they came into bloom, until the fruit was shown that's when that difference appeared and the weeds would actually uproot the wheat. You know, the enemy does have weeds or people who are fakes, if you like, who pretend almost um, to have faith. And we just need to be aware of it. We just need to be on guard of it. Wherever there's genuine faith, there's always an imitation. That's the same with everything in life. There's always an imitation. I came to realize over the summer that the one thing that the enemy would love to see me do or any of us do was to say, actually, you know what? I'm not going to go to church anymore because everyone, they must have something in their lives that's not really quite right. You know, it'd be easy for us just to give it all up and to kind of like think, actually, it wasn't worth it. But you know what? Instead, God said to me, 
Be consistent in your own life. Be consistent in your own witness. Be authentic with people. Be genuine in your own life. You know, I'm, I'm so grateful that here at Shiloh, I really hope we don't put people on pedestals. We've got a team ministry, and that's fantastic. I love that. Sometimes I speak, and then I go, and I go into bed, and I think, goodness me, how did I speak that when I've done this and done that and thought this and done that? We're all human beings. We're all flawed. We're all flawed. We're all human. And I just think God was challenging me to be consistent in my witness to be real, to be authentic, to be who I am with all my flaws and all my failings and all my mistakes, but just to be really real. So tonight, as we look at the church, I want to think about what is the purpose of the church? Because we all come together with all these kind of pieces and chaos and brokenness and messes, and yet it's something so beautiful. It's so beautiful when we all come together. So firstly, I honestly believe that the purpose of the church is to give glory to God. So that we can worship God. We are made to worship God, to be in relationship with him and to worship him. That's why we sing the songs we do when we gather together. It's sung worship, but we're never going to stop it. Because singing worship together does something to us. A worship leader is not there to perform. They're not there to perform. They're there to lead us to that place of worship before God. And you know what? I have become really frustrated, here's me being real again, about watching TV and watching all the channels and seeing beautiful worship leaders and beautiful performances and people who you know they had their teeth whitened and their hair looks beautiful and everything looks amazing and they're leading worship and it all looks fantastic. And even the people in the the congregation are a certain type, you know? And and it, it breaks my heart because I think God wants real and genuine. And as we were worshipping tonight, I was just reminded of my Christmas tree. And I was thinking, on my Christmas tree are loads of beautiful baubles that I've bought from the fricay, and they're gorgeous, and they're sparkly, and they're beautiful. But the ones that mean the most to me are the ones that look like screwed-up snowballs that the children have made at school that just look, you know, like, I don't know, they've just made, been made with love for the family. And I think sometimes that's what God is like too. He just wants our heart of love. He wants to receive us our worship just out of a real heart of love. You know, when we worship, it speaks to people around us. You won't realize it, but when you're going through a difficult time or a difficult situation, when you're at work or with your friends or with your family, when you're going through a difficult situation, and you can still give thanks you can still say, I still have hope, and you can still worship. It really speaks to people around you more than you'll ever know. They really want that same peace, that same um, hope that you have. They might not show it, but they're watching. They're looking. They're seeing. They're seeing how you're handling it. And when we worship God in our gatherings together, it gives us a new perspective on the situation that we're facing Whatever we're in, it gives us a new perspective. Jesus taught us, didn't he, that when we pray, we say, our Father in heaven. Straight away, we're reminded that it's our Father in heaven, the creator of all, who we're worshipping, who we're talking to, who we're praying to. 
who's got everything in control. And when we realize that, that God's in control and everything else, all of our problems, all of our, the things that we're going through suddenly come into perspective. When we decide to remove ourselves from worship, when we decide to not worship, then that's when we begin to lose perspective. We isolate ourselves. Sometimes anger takes over. Sometimes we feel so bitter. Sometimes we feel so afraid because the situations that we're going through seem overwhelming. But when we worship, we get this new perspective. There's this guy in the Bible called Asaph, and I really like Asaph because he's a grappler, and I'm a grappler, and he he was grappling with things. He was always grappling with things, and he had this age-old question. He said, why do the wicked always prosper? Have you ever asked that question? I'm trying to do things right, God, and yet everyone around me is getting his stuff, and I'm not. You know, I'm longing and I'm praying that you'd provide me with a life partner. And I'm trying to do things right, yet all my friends around me just seem to find partners. I'm really struggling with my finances and I've been giving and giving and giving and yet everyone else seems to have so much more than me. We ask these questions, don't we? We ask these questions of God. Why do people around me seem to prosper? And then it dawned on him. He says this in Psalm 73. I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. I tried to understand it, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God. Then I gathered with your people. I came together in worship, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. I came in, and I realized the hope and the salvation that I have. My perspective changed, because the God who's in control of the universe is in control of my life and in my situation. I am more prosperous than anyone else because I know Jesus, because I have a relationship with Jesus. Asaph is saying, I don't understand the way things are. I didn't understand, and then I came into your presence. I came in and heard your word with your people, and my questions came into proper perspective. We go to church because we worship, want to worship God with others. In Colossians 1, verse 28, Paul says that his goal was to both warn believers and to teach believers it says with all the wisdom God has given us we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ it's so important in the church that the Bible is so important it's the most important thing the teaching of God's word you know there are so many fantastic life coaches and motivational speakers and I as much as anybody loved to listen to podcasts about all different things and motivational speech speakers and all different things about life and all sorts of things. But our job in church is not simply to give a motivational talk and make you feel built up and to go home, but it's to teach the word of God. Okay, it's not just to listen and almost be like a psychologist and listen and undo and listen to your needs is to put the word of God into your life, to allow you to feed and apply the word of God. And the only thing that matters is what the Bible says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It has only taken me 40 years to realize that I don't have to struggle and strive to find the words to say so often, but just to give people the promises of the word of God. Because that's what cuts through to the heart. 
It's the word of God that speaks truth. It's not my words. It's God's words that speak into people's life. The Bible has all the answers that are needed. We need to be like sponges absorbing the word of God and the teaching. You know, I loved it that when we were at Satellites, okay, and I'm going to try and build this into our culture a bit this year, at Satellites, when we sat down, we sat down, every young adult had their Bible, a notebook, and a pen, and were sitting there absorbing the word of God as it was being taught from the front. They had notes, they could probably, Esme, I think you could probably preach on those sermons again with your notes. Um, They had notes after notes after notes on what was being said. You know, I encourage you, bring a notepad and pen, okay? Or bring your, bring your phone. I make notes on my phone simply because I carry my phone everywhere. So if I want to look back at it, I can... So if you think I've been texting, and Simon, I always think he's texting in the middle of church. He's not, okay? If I think I am, I'm not. I'm writing notes. I'm writing notes quickly. I'm quicker like that. Because it, even if you never, ever go back to those notes again... Something about writing notes helps it go in. It sticks it in. Even if you never look at them again, it, 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 I don't know what it is, but it just helps it to go in. You're kind of reinforcing it again into your lives. So often I go back to the early church because they understood the basics. They understood the foundations, and they were the church that were in revival. They were the church that were turning the world completely upside down. They were the ones that were making a real difference. And in Acts 2:42, we read that they continually, steadfastly, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayer. You know, continue steadfastly speaks of passion. Okay, I'm good. You know. Today, we're quite a flaky people, aren't we? If we like to do something, we do it. If we don't really fancy it, we just don't do it anymore. Um, And that's kind of been lost through the generations, I think. I think, you know, people used to stick to something, whereas now we kind of, if we fancy it, we do it. If we don't fancy it, we don't really do it. Um, But to speak of something, doing something steadfastly, means that you've got a passion. You're faithful. Even when it's tough, I'm going to steadfastly do it. Even when I don't fancy it, I'm going to do it steadfastly. They were living in that first love relationship with Jesus. They were on fire. They had that first love kind of passion burning in their hearts. It wasn't a casual attitude, like if you're joining a social club or you're just going somewhere, uh, maybe for entertainment. There was a spiritual excitement about what they were doing, about coming together You know, sometimes I think, am I excited about coming on a Sunday evening? Am I thinking, it's half past five, can't wait for the next half hour to go because I'm going to meet with Jesus and I'm going to meet with my friends and the people who support me. You know, am I thinking that? Or am I thinking, oh, I'd like to watch another 10 minutes of Antiques Roadshow um, before I come out? You know, let's be honest, okay? You know, that's what we're like, aren't we? And we need to just be passionate about what we're doing. They applied themselves to what was being taught. And I really believe that there's a need for anointed preaching today. I think that. I think we need to have anointed speakers and anointed teachers. Believe that more than ever. But here's our role. I believe that there's also a need for anointed listeners. Okay? People who are willing to listen and hear the word of God and apply it 
into their lives as well, to listen, have an openness, to receive God's word. You know, the Bible talks about being like newborn babies, craving the mother's milk, you know, because it's spiritual food to build you up and to grow you. That's how it is. And uh, it may seem a bit controversial for me to say tonight, um, but I think it's important to be part of one church, okay, to be committed to a church. Now, we work with all of the churches across the island, and I love working with other churches, um, and I love getting together with other churches. I think we need more unity. I really do think that that's the way, key to make a change in our island. Um, but I, and I'm really pro our young adults getting together with other young adults because you don't feel alone and you need to be together. However, I think we need to support and encourage one another here, and we need to commit to the church and gather consistently in one place. Why do I say that? We're not all called to the same church. We all have different styles. We all have different callings. We all have different identities. But I think it's really important that we, are, we have consistent teaching um, in, and also a consistent identity. You know, we have quite a clear um, identity, Okay, I think that here we have a real heart to see, you know, for the community, to see people saved, to see people reach, to see disciples made. We have a real heart for that. We have a real heart to see our young adults released um, into ministry. We want to see them grow into leaders and to take these leadership positions. And everything that we hopefully do affects that. And it, and it kind of, we're taught that and it, it plays out. And if we're not really in it, we can't commit to it. We can't really say, actually, I'm really in this. I really want to be committed to this. I really want to go for this. I think that it's important that we choose where we are because we want to go with where the church is going. You know, um, not choose it because it's got a great building. Okay? Not just say, oh, it's got great facilities. Have you seen their facilities? They're amazing. I'd like to be there. Okay, that's great. I'd really like to go there because I live next door and it's easy for me to walk there. Okay, sometimes we say these things, but actually, do we identify ourselves with the core values of where we're going as a church? Do we really identify ourselves with those things? Also, we remain accountable to people. We're accountable to one another. You know, we build those relationships and those friendships. We have a couple of groups in the church in the week which do community in an amazing way. Someone only has to walk in the room and they can say, you're not good today, are you? You can recognise straight away that someone's struggling, finding it difficult, and you can support one another. We can tell when something's wrong. We can celebrate when something's good. You know, when you're having a really good time, we can say, that's great. We'll encourage you on it. Let's get behind you. We want to support and encourage you in that. Yesterday, we met up with some friends from church, um, and we were speaking of the things of God, and we were reading Bible verses and praying with one another yesterday afternoon. And um, we all said, it's so good to be talking about the things of God. It is so good to be talking about the things of God, and that's what should happen when we come together. We should be saying, you know what, I read this this week, and that really encouraged me. Um, or I think I've got this verse for you, or, or this has happened. And it really builds you up. 
And people, like discussions that you have come from places that you didn't think you'd have, didn't know people's opinions on things. And it's really exciting. That's what church does when we come together and encourage one another. Um, it's fantastic to just be able to share with one another and support one another. And we need a place where we can give faithfully and consistently, not only of our time, but of our finances and our gifts and everything that we are. We need somewhere that we say, this is where I give to because I support the mission here of this church. We need a place where we can serve, serve with the gifts that God has given us. You know, so often I think sometimes we treat church a little bit like a cinema. You know, we come in and uh, while the worship's on, we search, scroll through our phones, check our Facebook. Has anyone done anything interesting? And we're all guilty of it. You know, I'm not pointing any fingers. Um, Or a text message comes in and I'll reply to it now. Um, Or we'll, um, you know, just, I don't know, leave, uh, you know, when the final credits are on, you know, in the last worship song, I'll leave now, it's done my, I've done my bit, I'll leave now. You know, we, we can be a bit like, I'm looking out tonight, wait. <laughs> um, we can be a little bit like that sometimes, and we can be, get into a consumer mentality rather than one of communer, when we communicate with God and with one another. You know, and the danger of that is we feed into that culture where we just come and we turn up and it doesn't really affect us, and we, then we go home that we kind of build customers rather than disciples. And we might have a whole building full of people. We might have a church packed with people, but we're never going to make a difference in our island or community for Jesus because we're just customers. We're just coming in and going, coming in and going. Imagine what a small, dynamic group of people totally on fire for Jesus could do. I spoke about it with the children this morning, saying how some young pe- one little group of young people you know, went into their high school a few years ago and, and, and just spoke about Jesus. And we had a teacher who came here and was baptised here because of their faith. Amazing. One little group of passionate young people. Imagine what God can do with each one of us. It's exciting. And if we're worshipping and if we're building one another up, we will naturally want to share that hope with others through our loving actions, loving words, sharing the gospel with one another. We know what Jesus commanded before he left the earth. The final one, go and make disciples. Disciples. That's what we as the church are called to do. We are the light of the world. You know, so many pictures over the years of Shiloh as a lighthouse. I didn't know if I could write them all down over the years. So many that Shiloh is a lighthouse, a place of safety where people can come to. Light in the darkness. We're called to be the light of the world. Matthew 5 says, Let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's why we have a heart for the community. That's why we want to feed those who are hungry, who can't feed their children. It's why we want to provide clothes for those who haven't got you know, uniform to go back to school. That's why we want to do these things. That's why we want to sit with those who are brokenhearted. That's why we want to sit and help those who are struggling with addiction or are struggling with debt. You know, we want to do those things because we love people. We love people. And we know that we are light in the darkness. Our purpose is to shine God's light into a very dark island 
a very dark world. But we're also salt. And Jesus said in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can it be useful again? It'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You know, salt in Bible times was used as a Um, not to taste food you didn't shake it on your food like to taste or maybe you did a bit as well but it was used mainly to preserve to preserve the meat to preserve things and we are called as a church I really believe to preserve things in our culture that are good you know, I read for the first time in a national newspaper this week, I don't know if you've read it too, that for the first time in the UK, they've declared that they, they, they don't believe that any longer a Christian nation because Christianity's kind of just died, really, across the nation. And that broke my heart. I thought, it's so sad, so sad to read that. And as that preservative, we stand up for what is right and true. We need to be that voice, and we make no apology for that. We stand up for what is right and true. We are here to comfort those who find themselves in difficulty. That's what we're here for, to comfort those who find themselves in pain and difficulty. But the flip side of that, which sometimes I think we find harder, is to unsettle the comfortable, is to unsettle those things that have become norms in our culture but aren't right. We are here to unsettle to shake up, to be a voice for those who have no voice, to stand up when we know something is wrong. You know, I think the church makes a huge mistake when we try to relate and just conform and to filtrate the culture that we're in. Martin Jones said this, and I love this quote, when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it, it is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. It might be difficult to bring that message at first. But it's the voice of truth. It's the voice of truth, standing on what the Bible says. And the one thing that I've kind of come to really see about church and, and the whole way of church is that I need to stop thinking like a consumer and start thinking like a disciple. I need to start thinking like a disciple of Jesus. What am I learning from Jesus and what is he asking me to go and put into practice? Because then that adventure is exciting. It takes you places that you didn't think you'd go. The reason we met with people yesterday afternoon um, was because God led us to somewhere where we never thought we would probably go to bring around his love into someone's home and peace in someone's home that we never felt we'd have the opportunity to do. It was an awesome, supernatural moment that is just such a privilege to be part of God's kingdom. When we say, it's not about me, God. It's not about me. It's about what you're calling me to do and about others. I need to ask myself, what is my place in the church? What is my place in the church? And I really feel that some of us tonight might be struggling with that. When we sung um, that song, that in my father's house, there's a place for me. There's a place for everyone. There's a place for everyone. And I think some people need to know that truth tonight. 
You know, and as we do that, as we find our place in the church, as we serve God and others with all of our heart, the church is going to come alive. It's going to come alive. It is alive. You know, I'm really excited. This summer, we have two people who want to be baptized um, and have asked to be baptized. And these are adult people with stories and journeys that they've been on, and they've come to know Jesus, and he's transformed their life. This is amazing. You know, this is amazing. If you don't take these things for granted, that God is on the move and he's doing amazing things. And I'm excited about it. I'm really excited about it. I'm excited about what will happen in our island as a result. And my prayer is that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit to go and be that voice. I want to be a voice for our young people who have an education system that is failing them at the moment. You know, let's be honest. We need to be a voice. We need to start speaking up. We need to start speaking truth in grace and in love, but defending. We need to start speaking in situations in our island that we see that are causing pain and hurt. You know, a little while ago, we really felt passionately about something in the States. What used to happen is that if you moved into a States house, you'd move in and they'd rip everything out. And, uh, and you'd have to go in, and you'd have no carpets, no washing machines and everything. And sometimes when, you, um, when people moved out, the carpets were perfectly fine, and someone could have moved in, but it used to be the system. that. And we, Vanessa and I spoke to them, and we said to them, this is crazy. People are going in, living without carpets for years because they can't afford the carpets, and you're taking out perfectly good ones. You know, it's just starting to turn. It's just starting to dawn, but it takes a long time. We need to pray, we need to speak, we need to say these things. You know, these are just real-life things that are affecting people. And I feel more passionate about it than ever. I told you, watch out, when I came back in September, because I feel more passionate about it than ever. And we have an opportunity, and we are, I have to say, such a fantastic church community, an amazing church community of people who do serve, who do give, and do give sacrificially. And I know the heart for God is just amazing. But as we are filled with the Holy Spirit again, just imagine what more can be done. Just imagine what changes can come. Next week, we have Vision Sunday. I'm always excited about Vision Sunday. It gives me tingles when I think about it because I love to look back and I always forget what's happened over the year and I'm like, oh my goodness, think about that. That's happened in the year. It's amazing. And and then I think, oh, look at what God's going to do this year and I get excited about where we're going to be this time next year. Goodness me, where are we going to be? I don't know what we're going to be doing. But I will certainly try and follow what God's saying to us. Um, But I want to speak next week really about the church's secret weapon, what we have which is going to transform the world. And I want us to really tie that in with our vision uh, next week. So I'm excited. So come and be part of it um, next Sunday at 10.30. But what I'd like us to do this evening, I want us to respond because I feel there's something in, before we come to Vision Sunday, committing ourselves to say, yes, I'm a disciple of Jesus, but yes, I go to Shiloh because we want to make a difference in our community. And I feel there's something important about that and the filling of the Holy Spirit again. So I'm going to ask the band, where are you? Come on up. (laughs) 
always a few little odd moments while the band's comes up and a little... <laughs> Come on up. Okay, and what I want to do is just to pray for us this evening, uh, that we would just be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, ready to do what he's calling us and equipping us to do, um, and that we would really commit ourselves to be part of the vision, part of the calling, part of the identity of what God is doing here. It's really exciting. Juliet will tell you. She goes out on a Tuesday. Isn't it exciting, Juliet? And Helen goes out on a Tuesday taking food out. Isn't it it's exciting what God is doing? Chat to them. Hear what God is doing. It's really exciting. Um, we're excited about what God is doing, but we want to see more. So um, I'm just going to invite us. If you want to just, um, if you want me to pray for you tonight, I'm just going to pray from the front, just that we would once again be refreshed and filled with the Holy Spirit. I just invite you to stand, and we're just going to pray, um, and then we're just going to worship. Let's just pray together.